Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Natalie, who has agreed to preach at that sunrise service? Okay, that's good. Hey, just out of curiosity, how many have ever seen or experienced someone sleepwalking or have sleep, slept walk themselves? Out of a, so a lot of folks have done that, yes? Yeah, I was surprised. I was jumping a little bit around on the internet and I was surprised at the prevalence of sleepwalking and how often a lot of people, a high percentage of people actually sleepwalk when they're kids, when they're young, and then they are, um, when they grow up, they grow out of it. Uh, that was true of me. I have a very embarrassing story to share for the sake of making sermon memorable. Um, so I was young, I don't know, seven or eight, and uh, my brother and I, we shared a room uh, a bedroom upstairs, and my sister was in her own room. She was older, and so she got a phone. It was later at night, and she, it was her boyfriend, and she's talking on the phone. And I got up out of bed, and I went into her room. And of course, I, I heard, I still remember it, even though you know I was sleepwalking, I heard that, Eric, get out of the room! That was her voice for me, her my entire childhood. And I proceeded to uh, not get out of the room, but pulled the little garbage can from out from the table and urinate in the, the garbage cans. So, mom, mom, help! And I still remember that. I have still never told her that I really wasn't sleepwalking. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, she's probably watching on live stream. So she, what the? No, I was sleepwalking there. So the reason why I bring that embarrassing moment up is because there is a dynamic in Scripture where Paul, oftentimes it's Paul, and he's reflecting some new, uh, Old Testament uh, idea. And then we're going to read this morning Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, where to awake people, they say, Wake up! Wake up! That is right. Wake up! Right? They, they're saying something of significance, and of course, the resurrected Lord is not talking about physical sleep. He's talking about a, a spiritual dynamic where even though you and I can be fully awake physically, we are asleep. We are in slumber spiritually. If you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look at the church Sardis and hear the words of the resurrected Lord to this church. And I want you to ask yourself, as we reflect on these words, two questions. One, what does that mean to be spiritually asleep? I, I am convinced that it can be a number of things. And then second, are you spiritually asleep? Do you need to hear the invitation from Christ to wake up? Revelation 3 verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God 
and the seven stars. Well, right away, that's very curious. I thought there was only one Holy Spirit, and yet there seems to be seven spirits of God. We'll talk about that. I have to talk about that to figure that out. And he says to the church, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let's do our check. Let's see if we all have to, if you've got an ear, grab it. Okay, then these words might be for you. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The resurrected Lord is inviting the church of Sardis and perhaps many of us, perhaps SCC, perhaps the, the, the church in the United States, to receive a wake-up call, to say, hey, this is the moment. And there's, there's some strong words. He's saying there's time. It, this is the time, this is the moment to pay attention, to ask this question, to wonder if you are asleep spiritually and the churches, let's ask the question, what would Jesus possibly mean, especially in the church of Sardis, wake up? So the reputation of the church, I think it's interesting in verse 1 that Jesus knows the rep of the individual church, right? Isn't that interesting? And he says, yeah, your, your reputation, that you're alive, you're vibrant, it's interesting. I wonder what that reputation was with the other churches. Like, the other churches had a lot going on. There's no mention uh, of the Nicolaitans. There's no mention of Jezebel. There's actually no mention of, uh, of sexual immorality and idolatry, right? So there's chances are that from the outside, you didn't see some of those things initially going on. And in fact... There is this aspect that perhaps Sardis, we don't know for sure, was a bigger church that was thriving. Perhaps they had ministries where the other churches went, boy, if we could be like those, how would you say, Sardinians? Those sardines? If we could be like those sardines, that would be so, I mean, they have this ministry to the poor that is so awesome. They, they have now, boy, they battled, they, apologetics, they have really spoken to this whole emperor worship that's so, and they have said, so, boy, I wish we could be like, honey, 
Do you want to move to Sardis to be a part of that church, right? There was this probably, from an outsider's view, this aspect of vibrancy and life. And yet Jesus is saying, that's not really your state. You need to wake up to who you are before me and what matters most. You need to stop focusing on the outside of things and look at what's going on internally. I thought of a movie clip. I haven't done a movie clip since the virus. I know, I've been getting re- complaints here. And so we've wanted to do it with the live stream. We're going to try our best. We're hitting, hitting some hiccups, but we're going to do this. But I thought of, um, the. it was a long ago, I think 2003, Pirates of the Caribbean, and the original one, and there was this idea, there was this rumor of a curse. And it's when, it, I thought we'd show the scene of, of um, what's his name? I'm forgetting, it's been so long. Uh, Jack Sparrow, there it is, Captain Jack Sparrow, when he's wondering about the curse, and then he's in jail, and note when the arm of a pirate, who looks like a good, strong pirate, reaches in to grab him. Look at the arm. Watch this video clip. Come on, Dougie. It's just you and me now. It's you and old Jack, come on. Come on, that's it. Good boy, come on, good boy. That's it, good boy. Come on, a bit closer, a bit closer. That's it, that's it, doggy. Come on, you filthy, slimy, mangy cat. No, 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 I didn't mean it. I didn't. Oh, no, no. This ain't the armory. Jack Sparrow. Last time I saw you, you were all alone on a godforsaken island, shrinking into the distance. His fortunes aren't improved much. Worry about your own fortunes, gentlemen. The deepest circle of hell is reserved for betrayers and mutineers. So there is a curse. That's interesting. You know nothing of hell. That's very interesting. All right, I am spoiling the surprise, but it was like a long time ago that movie came out. So, but there is a curse. And in fact, they look like healthy, strong human beings, but in the moonlight, it reveals they are actually the undead. They're just skeletons inside. And that was the true state. And Jesus is saying, you need to look at yourself. You can't, when you stand before me, and I think there's a a sense of judgment of how the, the life you want to live that what I'm looking for is not 
the outward appearance of things. What I'm looking for is the real important heart issues, soul issues, integrity issues. Those are what matter in the kingdom of God. We can be asleep to that reality. And in fact, the culture would feed us in a contrary way. The culture would say, no, 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 that, no, no, what's most important is what you can put on your Facebook. Yeah. And people can go, wow, that, oh, a new puppy, yeah, right. But that's all, not that those things are insignificant but those things are not the most important things, and those things are not what our Father is looking for within our lives. In fact, this illustrates an important, I, I would call it a kingdom principle. This crucial kingdom principle is this, that the heart is central. The soul is central. What is going on within? Or you could say it, the kingdom within. That's the central piece. That's what God is looking after. There is a, a, a story in the Old Testament that really illustrates this idea that's central. It's where um, uh, uh, Saul, he disobeys God, and so he, he loses really the the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of Israel, and Samuel then is tasked with with. This is a really important point. Don't pull my mic out. What's happening with my mic? We there? Okay. Don't. He said, "Go, go to Bethlehem. Go to the man named Jesse, and I'm going to show you this new king. He's got. Uh, he's got. Jesse has eight sons." In Bethlehem, and so Samuel goes, and listen what it says. When he, they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So we don't know what Eliab looked like, but he was probably really tall and muscular. He was the Shaquille O'Neal of Bethlehem, right? He must have been this imposing force, and Samuel's like, he's got to be the king. And listen what the Lord says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. In other words, he's saying his heart isn't good. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. A crucial principle in the kingdom. The question is, when we look at people, when you look at Facebook, when you look at your friends and family, ministries, churches, leaders, businesses, do you fa mainly fall into the, the trappings of our culture where it's the outward things that rule and reign? It's the outward things that we make our assessments on. It's the outward things that cause us to, to decide. Are we guilty of... of judging the books around us by their cover? 
Are we mindful of this principle that God is looking beyond those things and he's looking for things like integrity, like faithfulness, like thoughtfulness, like humility, like truth on the inside. I really do hate to bring up this example, but it's been so public. Uh, There's an apologist who passed away last year, Ravi Zacharias. And unfortunately, he illustrates this this point painfully well. He was a a Christian apologist that for, for really years and years, 40 years in the and, and many evangelicals, myself included, I, I really was blessed and benefited by his ministry to hear him discuss and engage, especially in college when I heard him on college campuses. And, and it was one of the first moments when I realized that, boy, really thoughtful, intelligent people can be people of faith, that rigorous thinking, we can love God with our mind and that it doesn't have to be contrary to the faith, that we can really love and honor the way he would graciously debate and make points and and to see that brilliant thinker. And for me, that was just a source of saying, I want to love the Lord with all of my mind. And yet after he passed away, very unfortunate accusations of sexual impropriety came forward Thankfully, those ministries, his ministries, did an independent investigation and really treated those accusations, um, listened to them, and they found that he indeed was perpetrating. He was a, a probably a, a sexual predator of many years. My, my heart sank. I was so sad. And yet I was reminded that, that it's the heart that matters, that I, that I can't, I, not that the outward things aren't important, but to always be mindful of myself and the people around me, of what's going on in the kingdom within. Jesus said like this, Jesus repeated, again, you can read one of the Gospels and, and just pay attention to how much he uses the word heart. And sometimes he uses the word soul. And he's talking about the interior world. And and the religious leaders, especially around him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that time, they were focused on the physical thing. They were trying to stay within the righteous commandments, right? And Jesus would say again and again in a variety of ways, but we have one way, Luke 6, 45, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. He's saying, listen, the outward things, yeah, they're important. But actually, the outward things should flow from the inward things. The outward things, the good things, should flow from the inward things. And I've discovered that I can fake the outward stuff pretty good 
for a certain amount of time. And yet I can have a ministry that's going really well. But if it's not flowing from a heart that's right with the Lord, then I'm disappointing the Lord. Jesus' point again and again in the New Testament, Jesus' point again and again um, to Christians in the Old Testament and here in Sardis, he is saying to the church, and I believe he's saying to you and I, would you look within? Would you be mindful of the interior kingdom? Yes, what you're doing matters outwardly, but what is central, what is important, is what is within. So let me ask this question. How do we wake up? If we, if we recognize that, if we do this heart check, how do we stop hitting the spiritual snooze button? Right? How do we stop just keeping the outward stuff going along, right? And, and, and go, wait, wait, no, 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 Let, let's do a heart check. Is, is the inside of me with the outside? That's what integrity is, right? There's a match of what's happening inside and outside. How do we do that? Because if we don't, it's interesting. In verse 3, Jesus says, if you don't wake up, I'm coming. He's not talking about the second coming here. He's talking about the kind of coming that you don't want him to come. He's talking about a historical coming that brings judgment. And he's saying, listen, I want you to do this yourself. I want you to get it right. I want, I'm going to give you opportunities to write your heart. But if you don't, write consistent with the other churches that we've been looking at. If you don't do it, I'm going to do it. And you don't want me to do it. It's interesting in Sardis, at one time they were the capital of a kingdom, the kingdom of Lydia. And they uh, were on uh, high um, cliffs, uh, much of the city. And two times in their history, there were um, watchmen who were supposed to watch on the top of the cliffs for the enemy come up. And two times in their history, it was believed that the watchmen fell asleep. And an army was able to march up the cliffs and overtake the city. Two times. Jesus is saying, wake up, watchmen, to your own life, to your church or I will come like a thief. All right, how do we wake up? He mentions a number of words. He says, remember. He says, strengthen. He says, hold on to. He says, repent. And I would say the first step for us, which I'm hoping that we're doing right in this moment, is the first step for us is to actually spend some time 
of personal reflection, some introspection on the things that we pause from daily routines. Isn't the time of Lent a good time to do that, right? To just, uh, out of the rigmarole, out of the, the things that we do continually, all the things that we do outwardly, all our responsibilities that we pause and we ask the question, is my heart right with these things? Paul says this uh, in Ephesians. He talks about being and living as children of light and not doing living in goodness and righteousness and truth. All the things he's talking about is internal things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And he says, don't do the deeds of darkness. And then he says this. This is Ephesians 5.14. This is why I said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. He's inviting us to think about how we live. He's inviting us to do that self-reflection. He's inviting us to look at our actions and the integrity of our heart. He says, think about it, reflect on it. And if you repent when you need to repent, if you invite the Lord where you need to invite, then Christ will shine in you. You will be children of life. But you got to think about it. You got to reflect. Charles Spurgeon said this I believe a very large majority of churchgoers are merely unthinking, slumbering worshipers of an unknown God. Man. Paul is saying, reflect, live carefully, live thoughtfully. Is my heart doing those things or am I allowing this this, um, lack of integration between soul and deed? Verse 2, he says, I've found your deeds unfinished. And then he says, strengthen what remains. I believe what he's saying there is he's saying to, to Sardis in particular, don't, don't stop doing the good things. I want that fruit to be produced, but it's unfinished. It's not fully what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is your heart who is responding to my love, my kindness, my forgiveness, and then the good deeds are flowing from that. And you're taking delight in those good deeds. You're honoring and glorifying me in those good deeds. If we do deeds in such a way that don't glorify the Father, then they are unfinished in the eyes of God. See that? I have a confession to make. There's parts of being a pastor I really don't like. Okay. There's parts of being a father that I really don't like. There's parts of being a husband. No, no, no. I like every... Every aspect of being a husband, but, but as, a, as a pastor and as a father, there's parts that I don't want. And do you know what? I'm going to brag a little bit. I can fake it. I can fake it sometimes. Right? I can, 
slide past and I can have this interaction with a person and they have no idea that I was just waiting to get out of this discussion. Is it all right that I share those things with you? And Jesus is looking for that integrity. Of course, there's going to be things in just about any aspects of life that we don't like but are the right thing to do, yes? And we can do them in such a way that does not glorify God. I really hate that about myself, right? I hate that I can do good things in such a way that don't honor God. That's just a brokenness of soul. That's the human condition. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you about it. You are not unaware now that I'm looking at the heart. I'm focused on the heart. I said it when I was walking among you. I'm saying it as a resurrected Lord. I'm asking you to hear it and do this heart check. I think a couple ways that I address that is I invite, especially in those things that I don't want to do, I invite his presence in that conversation in that deed, in that sacrificial aspect. You know what? Most sacrificial things, I don't want to sacrifice. I'm sorry. I hope that's not you know, discouraging to you, right? But I invite the Lord into those moments of sacrifice. And I say, Lord, help me to do that right. Um, David, when he was reflecting on um, his, his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 51. Listen to his prayer. Create in me a pure heart, O God. We get to ask him to do the heavy lifting of our heart. We get to say, God, I, I confess that was not very loving to that person. When I, when I said that word to my wife, that, was, that wasn't out of love. That was out of uh, selfishness, uh, insecurity. Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, would you purify my heart? And then David says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I think it's interesting that he prays in that verse both for his heart and the renewal of his heart and the presence of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. That gets us back to that question when when Jesus said that he has in his hands both the, the churches, the seven angels of the church, the stars, and the seven spirits of God. What he means there is, uh, many of you know that the, the number seven means perfection or wholeness. And he's talking about the fullness of life, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he's uh, saying, think about again the idea of unfinished deeds. He's saying, I'm calling you to the fullness of life. Christianity is not about doing good deeds. Christianity is about receiving the fullness of life from God. 
and the good deeds flowing from that fullness. That the, that the Holy Spirit has a number of ministries in our lives. He, he wants to bear all this fruit of joy, of love, of forgiveness, all these things of kindness and goodness. And he wants to, to fill us up by his Spirit. And out of the overflow of the heart should come the lo- words of love, the deeds that are good and kind and making a difference in this world. Jesus is saying, where's the fullness of the Spirit in that? When you're, when you're caring for this loved one, when you're visiting this person in prison, when, when you're serving the, the, the poor, don't you know it's meant to be that, that fullness of the Spirit that overflows to those. If you're doing those good deeds without that fullness, incomplete. Not perfect. I think we're called to reflect on the fullness of the life of God within and its connection to our life, our words, our deeds, our work, our rest, our recreation, everything done outwardly. Second thing is this, which I think is powerful is ask the question, the question of love. Um, I had introduced communion with the scripture, Romans 13, when he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And he says, really, all of these Ten Commandments are wrapped up in this idea of love your neighbor. And then he goes on, he says, in this one command... Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. Understanding the kairos moment. He's not talking about chronological time. He's talking about this is the time of salvation. This is the time of the goodness of God. This is the time of the forgiveness of God. The hour has already come for you to wake up. Wake up to the time and the moment in history that you are. Wake up from your slumber, church, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's saying, do you realize the moment that you live in, do you realize the grace of God, the mercy of God is flowing from his throne right now? Do you realize that we get to take communion, that we get to live in the presence of God, the joy of God, the goodness of God right now? People long, in the Old Testament, longed to live in this time of the presence of Christ. Wake up to this time. And he's saying, wake up to this is the moment that the love of God is available to every broken sinner, rich or poor, black or white. It does not matter. The love of God is here and available. 
I would say this wake-up circumstance, he's saying wake up to the time in salvation history in which we live. And don't let it go by. Don't miss it. Embrace this moment and this time as much as you can. I was feeling the, the heaviness of ministry this week. So we had big things with uh, the denomination and our classes and so forth. If you hang out for uh, the congregational meeting, you'll, you'll uh, hear a, a little bit of that. And, and, and we're wrestling through some, some difficult stuff, right? So I'm praying uh, with a, a greater intensity. I'm, I'm wrestling through these words and wrestling through that. In fact, in, in our days of the kingdom, I was like, hey, I'm so glad we got to pray for you, but I, I want some prayer as well. So pray for me next opportunity. And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm wrestling with and, and, and I'm somewhat weary and fatigued is, is I'm, I'm asking the question, are these difficult moments, am I leading with love? Because I know I can do the right thing, but I'm not loving well the people I'm trying to lead. That, that's true. And, and so I, I want to ask this question. And sometimes love means a really hard conversation, right? Sometimes love means a, you're bringing in, a, uh, you're confronting someone. Sometimes love means you're actually talking about someone's sin with them because you love them and you care for them. Sometimes love is, is taking a stand and saying, this cannot be, this cannot continue. I was thinking about how the, the message from last week, this idea of God's justice and mercy and how he's a God of both and in some ways there's a paradox and sometimes I'm wondering how do you know when I'm living in God's justice and when I'm living in God's mercy and how does that, how do I play and how do I live and reflect him in these circumstances and in this relationship, I believe one of the most profound helps and ways we can live in that tension is to live with the question, is it loving? It might reflect some of God's justice. It might reflect some of God's mercy. But the question is, is these statements, is the stand I'm taking, is these decisions I'm making, is these words to my brother or sister or church or denomination or neighbor, is it loving? And I think that would be a profound way of bringing the the internal things. I would call that living authentically, living real before God, with God, and in integrity with all the outward things. So that clock cannot be right. That says it's quarter till. Am I that early? What time is it? 
I was going to say a miracle just happened. I finished a sermon. This is an awkward moment. Even our clock is not working. What's, what is happening? All right, so it's the appropriate time to end, right? I was like, what a, okay. Thank you, Nadley. I don't think that was spoken in love, but. <laughs> no, 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 love and justice, right? Okay, um, can the worship team come forward? Can we just take a moment before the Lord? Just read this Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, pay attention when it says above all else. Here's super important. I've been given wisdom and sharing a number of things, but above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So Lord, if there's any falsehoods in how we're living anything that is a disconnect between our outward activities and our inward state, Lord, would you purify our hearts? Would you help us to live before you rightly, living in righteousness and holiness? And, and Lord, when that disconnect happens, Lord, Would you help us to be a people who are quick to repent? Quick to, to get real with you. Lord, we want you to come bringing your presence and power. We don't want you to come for the purposes of judgment in this life. And Lord, would you help us to be a people that lives thoughtfully and intentionally, as Paul said. Lord, would you help us to reflect on our decisions and our words. Lord, would you help us to be a people who makes the most of every opportunity, as Paul says. Lord, would you... Would you help us to recognize and wake up to the time and salvation history in which we live? Lord, would, would you help us to wake up to your love and your goodness and your forgiveness that's available to each and every one of us, our, our family members, our neighbors, Lord God, that, that we would be a people who live with that sense of urgency to share your love with this broken world that so desperately needs it. And then, Lord, would you help us to every day guard our hearts. Lord, that we would be careful with our hearts. 
that we would not naively entrust our hearts to those who would hurt us or betray us. Lord, that we would learn to be also gracious with our hearts. Give our, giving our hearts fully to you and those to whom you direct us to. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I really like this closing song, so I'm going to play. Would you stand up with me?